If you've seen my portfolio, there is a pop-up store that we did earlier in the year, back in January, February, for Aisha Curry, um, Steph Curry's wife. And they had a very, very tight budget, right? This was just coming all out of pocket, and they just wanted to test the market for it. The fees were less than my minimum, and I was like, hell yeah, I'm doing it. Like, (laughs) There's no way I'm not. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your interior design business? Then welcome to Wingnut Social, the podcast specifically designed to accelerate your business through increased social media presence, impactful online content, and translating industry experience into physical success. This is your design business tightly fastened. Now welcome the hosts of Wingnut Social, Darla Powell and Natalie Graff. Hey there, and welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast. I am your host, the Grand High Poobah of all things Wingnut, Darla Jethro Powell, and I am joined by the ginger turkey, Natalie Graff, and you're wearing my shoes. I am. I'm wearing your little, your Tiva sandals today, your your white trash shoes. <laughs> my High Point special. You wore these to High Point? No, but when I was in High Point at Winston-Salem, I found them. They were on sale for twelve ninety five. Oh, they're very comfy. I know. That's why I bought them. Actually, and why are you wearing my shoes? Why not? What's yours is mine. Eh, maybe <laughs> Natalie I'm so excited I'm so excited I'm so excited so so excited now oh yes I can't wait da, 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 I'm like da, da, da. just baited on you know just like oh my now God, that high point is done and now that the code is done I get a treat we're going to Disney World when are we going to Disney World darling we talked about going for my 52nd birthday <laughs> oh my god how sad is that <laughs> <laughs> but that's gonna be in May and I think it's gonna be kind of hot but I want to get a treat to go see Star Wars land at Disney World I can't wait I can't wait I can't wait I want to eat all the like strange foods and I want to build a lightsaber at the thing and I want to do the Millennium Falcon ride I'm so excited I really want to stay in the hotel and do like the whole dress up adventure thing the hotel's not even open it's not yet. open yet yeah and I, I heard that the hotel is going to be lots and lots and lots of Benjamins to stay at that hotel well that's why I got you you. Oh, that's why got, yeah. That's, that's why, why you got me. Your sugar mama. My sugar baby. Your sugar baby. You're 10 years younger, remember? Oh, that's right. Yes, I, I can't can, I can thank this uh, lovely excitement from my one of my really, really good friends who actually kind of doubles as my mother, Alice Taylor, who sends She's us not pictures. not your real mother. I said doubles as my mother. She sends us pictures every time she goes to Disney of the market and the Star Wars. She brought us back little Cokes and little Sprites by the, what are those little round bomb things? They were things? thermal detonators. Yeah, yeah, round bomb things. Okay. She's a stunt double for your mother. <laughs> <laughs> a stunt double for my mother. Darla, let's talk about how hot it is still in South Florida. Holy sh- It is November and we're in our little studio, our podcast studio. November, I swear to you, we're sweating already. Just we've it's only hot. been going into as long as you guys have been listening. If you're still listening. If you're still listening. Yeah. And we're already sweating. So anyway, nobody cares about that. But you know what they care about? They care about one thing. Money. Making that money and making those Benjamins. We're going to get into that today with Christine Lynn. I have a good idea, Darla. Well, it's about time. Make those Benjamins and you can pay for your Star Wars trip. Well, that's the idea, right? In the design business. Well, we have Hello? two businesses. But okay, be quiet. Listen, let's talk about what Listen, the designers Linda. want to hear. Listen, Linda. Designers want to hear how they can make money. And this is a really hot topic in the interior design industry. Some designers put their fees on the website, say, don't even think about hiring me, darling, until you have $50,000 in whatever it is. Just or, like that, just that like verbiage, that, that tone of voice. <laughs> what do they, Voxer it? Like a little Voxer message on their website oh, Voxer, where they nice. can press play so they could hear it in the designer's voice? You are out of control. I am. I know. So Christine Lynn 
has these minimums on her website. And how she caught my eye is she was in recently in a business of home article where designers did discuss having minimums on their website. And I actually went to her website and we'll get into this with her, her minimums, why she put the minimums she has in place. And since she's done that, how has she done? How's her design? Is she attracting higher end clients? Has she stopped it with the tire kickers and the people that just want the refresh in the living room and maybe we're going to do some new paint in the bathroom? Those are really sucking the life out of the interior <laughs> design. Middle tier people, we're not making money doing that stuff. So let me tell you a little bit more about Christine Lynn. Christine Lynn is the principal and founder of Foreman Field Design. Foreman Field creates original interiors that honor the identity, history, and surroundings of their clients. With an emphasis on art, architecture, and eclectic modernism, the firm cultivates every project as a partnership and is widely recognized by publications such as Domino, Rue, California Homes, and Hospitality Design. Wingnuts, help me in welcoming Christine Lynn to the Wingnut Social Podcast. Hey there, Christine Lynn. Welcome to the podcast. How the hell are you? I'm doing awesome. How are you guys? We are doing oh so well, and we are chomping at the bit to get down to this question of posting minimums on the website and Darla how... Yes. Are you getting the cart ahead of the horse already? No. And we haven't even started. I'm dying. You okay. know what I'm saying? Some I'm of the, saying. Be- the best sh- the best shows that we have, Ellen Dana, take a drink, take a shot, are the ones that I personally really just want to wrap my head around the concept. And this is one of those. And Natalie, you should too, because you're you bring in the Benjamins. Uh, no, I just like record the Benjamins and build the Benjamins. That's <laughs> it. That's what I do. Also, Christine, how you caught my eye, besides the fact that we've met in passing at a high point in all these markets you run in our little circles, is you and I are fellow Business of Home alums. We've both been in their online magazine, quoted as experts in our fields. And your particular piece was talking about project minimums and why you should do it, why you shouldn't do it. It was that kind of a piece. And I was like, oh my gosh, this would be so helpful for the podcast. So let's just dive in. So how long have you been in the interior design business? First of all, just give me a number in years and then I'll segue into the next question. Yeah, let's say like two and a half years. No, are you serious? <laughs> Full time on my own business. Uh, it's been two and a half years, and I did like about a half a year stint part time with another designer. Okay, all right, all right. So that my mind, I, seriously, I have brains on the ceiling. My mind is I see totally, them. Right? I see the brains. Splatter. It's gross, but yes, it's also yes. very impressive. I see that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, so. Only two and a half years in business, which really is about the same length of time that Natalie and I have been in business at the interior design side. At what point did you decide, screw this tire kicker stuff? The light bulb moment. Yeah, I'm putting project minimums on my website because I cannot be bothered to do a bathroom refresh. One more time. (laughs) Uh, It was probably at least a year ago, I want to say at this point. Okay, so only 18 months in. Okay, so let's start. Let's talk through that. What kind of what kind of projects were you getting? Were you getting like some soul sucking stuff or you're not making any money? What what led to that decision? How did how did the idea even occur to you to start with? You know, when you're getting started, you're hungry to take on any kind of work. Um, I was doing projects that were just like light furnishings, you know, maybe the design fees only ended up coming out to a couple thousand dollars. And that was totally fine when I was starting out. I would say a year and a half ago, I was starting to really focus on larger projects. 
and getting bigger projects that were very time consuming. And at that point, you know, it's just like, well, and as you're building your portfolio, you know, I was getting bigger projects and showing bigger projects on my portfolio. It just didn't make sense anymore to do those projects that were much smaller. The time or mental drain, you know, when you have a lot of small projects, right? Like I would take any day, I would take five large projects over like 20 small ones. It's much better to be able to focus your time and to really dig your teeth in into a project. Let's try to paint a picture here for our listeners. So right now, as your firm, is it you and an employee, another employee? How many people are part of your team? I have three employees, full-time employees, and then principal designers, assistant designers. Let's let's paint this picture. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll get into the details. Um, so I have a design assistant. I also have a project manager slash ops manager, and then a more senior designer. And then I also outsource all my purchasing to a procurement manager. And then I also have a contractor who's like a more of a senior designer helping out. Sweet. Two and, and a half years in. Nice. Okay, but yeah. before, <laughs> So I don't know if this is card of the head of the horse at all, but did you decide to go ahead with these project minimums before you had your team hired or was this after your team was hired? Good question. I would say at the time that I set the minimums, I probably had one or two people. Okay. So paint us a picture a little bit about a project that you had before you decided to put the project minimums on your website or advertise form and feel with the project minimums versus what you get now. What did it look like in the beginning and what is it looking like now? Yeah. In the beginning, a lot of the projects were for friends. And so I was pretty flexible with how I worked with them. And, you know, an example is maybe it was like a two bedroom condo and they needed help with furnishings. And I would source and select furnishings for them. And then maybe they'd go and actually buy a lot of the furnishings themselves just directly through retail. Right. So, you know, the fees are kept pretty much to a minimum, a couple thousand dollars, something like that. Then after, you know, or now really, it's full service design. We're doing full homes, you know, upwards, like the biggest project we've done is 10,000 square feet. But obviously, we do a lot of smaller projects than that. But it's it's full home. And, you know, we're doing renovations along with that. And it's much more comprehensive. And it's really about building a vision for the entire home. What was your mindset before actually going through and putting on your website, hey, don't even bother unless it's going to be X amount of dollars. So what actually made you take that leap? What was the science behind that? I was getting a lot of leads. Um, I've always done pretty well with SEO, house, things like that, and also referrals. But I was getting so many leads where I would talk to them on the phone and then their budget just didn't make sense for what they wanted to do. Or it was just so small that it didn't make sense for me to take it on. And these phone calls, they add up. I spend 20 to 30 minutes for each one. And I was just tired of talking, like spending that time with projects that just wouldn't make sense for the firm or was a good fit for the firm. That's when I was like, I need to just lay it out there. Because <laughs> <laughs> it took a lot of time thinking about what exactly the minimums should be, you know, because it's like, you don't want to scare away projects that could be interesting. But uh, at the same time, you know, you don't want it so low that everyone still reaches out to you. And so, you know, I did really carefully choose that $10,000 design fee minimum with the $50,000 minimum for product or furnishings. Let me interrupt you there because, you know, for those of us that are a little bit mathematically challenged, 
How did you exactly come up with that number? Yeah, how did you figure out the math there? Math is hard. (laughs) I love math. So (laughs) basically, it came down to my past experience and what I was charging in the past and like what that would equate to in terms of a project. So for $10,000, I can do about two bathrooms, half a kitchen, you know, like, so it's just what makes sense. Um, $10,000 is also probably about two to three rooms design and, you know, executing. And so it's like, what's a project scope that would make sense for us to take on? And what would that equate to in terms of design fees? Okay, Natalie, we are way undercharging. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't forget, I am in the Bay Area, right? And so everything is like, 10 times as it's more expensive. Well, we're in Miami. That's a pretty expensive market too. That's true. That's true. Let's get down to that. So a $10,000 design fee minimum with a $50,000 project furnishings budget. Are they trade only? Does everybody have to go through your firm to get the furnishings or how does that work with you guys? Yeah, yeah, we definitely want to be purchasing everything. And it's not just for a markup purpose, but also because then we have control everything, we know what's getting ordered, we can catch mistakes that way. And it's just a better process and execution. A lot of us or a lot of the listeners that may be interior designers understand the trade only price and what you market up for your clients. Do you go ahead and mark it up to what your clients do you pass on a discount to your clients? Or do you consider your $10,000 minimum design fee? And then you make on top for your trades. Are you saying or not your trades, are you but saying your vendors. you charge markup on yeah, top of your design charge, fee? Yeah, yeah, you charge your markup. You don't extend your... I do. Um, so I charge markup, but I do it a little bit of a hybrid. After careful thought, I decided to split my markup if my discount was more than 20%. So I did start out where I just split out all my discounts. But now at this point, I shifted to a model where if you know, the discount is 20% or less, I keep the entire discount, but say it's 35%, then I'll share it with you. And then you get like 17.5% off. And I found that, you know, the clients aren't turned off by it at all. It's actually I use the language like I share my discount with you versus I'm marking up X amount. And so I think providing a little bit of that benefit is actually goes a long way with the clients. I've heard that before, that hybrid approach. I think Veronica Solomon does that approach as well. If it's over, I think hers is 20 or 25% chill. Anything over it, she does split it. So I have heard that. That is an approach as well. And I can't blame you. It does soften some of the blow as far for the design fees. It's still like if you're, maybe you just don't want to say, not only am I charging you $10,000 for half a kitchen, but I'm also going to charge you 100% full retail stuff. It gets a little sticky, And I think that that's a pretty good, that's probably a pretty good margin if you're doing trade only. Yeah. And it really just depends on like your business model. Like my goal, like I calculated so that as long as I'm making around 15 to 20% markup overall, like that hits my targets for, you know, financials. The minimum. Okay. Can you explain like a project minimum, like what it pertains to you? You you said it was the 15% markup, but do you take anything into consideration as far as what it would be for your ops manager, your project manager? Do you add all of their, what is your baseline hourly rate to make that? Yeah. So um, my rate, I'm at 180 an hour right now. And then most of my staff is around 120 an hour. And then I will do estimates, you know, based on how much time each person should take for a certain task. 
And now are you completely cutthroat? Like if someone <laughs> sees your minimum and they call you and they say, listen, I love what you do. I love what you're doing. I have this project, but there's no way it's going to meet your minimum. Will you still consider that and take that on? Yeah, if it's really interesting. So I'll give an example of that. If you've seen my portfolio, there is a pop-up store that we did earlier in the year, back in January, February, for Aisha Curry, um, Steph Curry's wife. And they had a very, very tight budget, right? This was just coming all out of pocket, and they just wanted to test the market for it. The fees were less than my minimum. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm doing it. Like, <laughs> there's no way I'm not, you know, just because it doesn't hit 10K. Um, so, you know, it's really, it is on a project by project basis. It's just, you know, some of those opportunities are rare and few between few and rare. What is it? Something like that. <laughs> few and far. Far, yeah. far, far and few between. between. Yeah. Okay, Christine. So let's talk a little bit about how the phone calls or the inquiries changed when you did those minimums. Did you have like a, a minute of adjustment? And by a minute, I mean a month, a week, two weeks, three months, six months for people to start picking up the phone and adjusting or were you immediately your phone's lighting up? Okay. Yeah, it was immediate. It was awesome. <laughs> okay. So yeah, tell me a little bit about your different ideal client that would call in. What changed for you in a in a real way as far as the type of clients you work with, type of projects you got, et cetera? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it was fewer of these smaller projects. Like, you know, I still get a lot of leads that are when they fill out my form, it's the bottom <laughs> or like the lowest like buckets of what I will accept, which is fine because, you know, I'm happy taking on projects in that range. Like that's the reason why I even have it on there as an option. So the benefit is that like, I'm not talking to anyone who's less um, at this point. And we are getting, you know, I don't know if it's a result of having the minimums, but in general, you know, as our portfolio has, you know, stepped up and we're getting bigger projects that has just, you know, continuously increased over time, like the project size. There's a lot of listeners to this podcast, baby designers, experienced designers. Trademark Luann Nagara. Yeah, all of that. Yes, Luann says that. But thank you, Luann, for allowing me to use that. So <laughs> would you recommend that other design firms create the project minimums? Or should you just think they should like take it case by case as they're starting out wetting their feet? Yeah, because you're you're still relatively really new. I mean, two and a half years. I mean, I know we're in the same boat. We're, I consider myself to be really crazy new. So would you recommend someone just starting out to, to do the minimums? Probably not, to be honest. Um, like I, I didn't have minimums when I first started out. I was just hungry to take on anything. Um, and so I think it really depends on where you are at and what you get joy out of. Everyone's business is different. If you love doing smaller projects or just helping out wherever you can, then keep doing it, right? Like for me, it's just not as fun. So I like the big meaty projects where there's, you know, million dollar budget or whatever it is. <laughs> big meaty for Foreman Field. Is that a, a new build? What would you consider to be big and meaty? Yeah, like um, full home renovation plus furnishings. Okay, yeah. cool. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your intake process. I, I'm assuming you do have people that give you a call. So when they visit your website, what does a prospective client have to go through to experience the Foreman Field intake process? And do they weed themselves out or do you still end up having to talk to somebody with a lower budget and say, geez, I'm sorry, I don't know if you saw our services page, but. <laughs> yeah, I have um, a link to the contact form. And so most people are coming through there where I have a form 
It's not a terribly long form. It mostly ta- gives me, you know, the basic information, your name, email address, the project address, what type of project, total project budget, how much you want to pay for interior design services, and then how they heard about us. Um, so that's it. And then they, I get it through email. And then once I receive that email, I'll reach out. If it looks sounds like a good fit, I'll just reach out and you know, ask for some 30 minute time slots for when they're available for a call. Okay. And are, are you vetting all these yourself? I am actually. Yeah. I actually really like doing them. I feel like having, I've, you know, debated about this, but being able to like answer questions on that first call or kind of give a good sense of like whether their budget is even reasonable or just getting into the kind of the more finer details of a project, I think that's pretty helpful for that first call. So you spend all that money on your shiny new website, but how do you know it's getting the job done and attracting real life clients? Are your photos optimized? Are your backlinks bending over backward to work for you? Have you lost the keys to your keywords? If all of this is making your head spin, don't worry. Wingnut Social's SEO website audit will answer all these questions and more. In fact, here is what you get when you purchase. Two hours of consulting with an expert. A crawlability check for broken links. Site performance. Metadata checks. Metadata is what helps Google know where to rank your page. On-page SEO. Length, messaging, duplicate content, mobile audit headers. There's just so much to learn. Yeah, keywords and content suggestions. You'll get a list of keywords for you to target and content suggestions for targeting them. And of course, those backlink audits to make sure they're going to help you or hurt you. Are they helping or hurting you? You'll find out by going to wingnutsocial.com slash services and just check out the SEO website audit. It is a one-time fee and it's a tremendous value. Now back to the show. And so as far as budget goes, I know a lot of people are, maybe they're naive to a budget. Maybe they think oh, that they point. can they mm-hmm. can do something for five grand because HGTV said they could do it for five grand. Do you have to educate them a little bit? And then they come around to see what you say and say, yeah, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Okay, we could meet this 10 grand. We could meet this 15 grand. Do you ever find that? Yeah. I mean, I would say probably at least half the time I'm educating um, because sometimes they'll hit my minimum budget, but then the scope of work is just too much for that minimum budget, right? Like, (laughs) you know, here in the Bay Area, kitchens, minimum 80K, easy, 80K to 100K. And so, you know, often these numbers are numbers that I have to throw out in that initial call. Just Natalie just fainted. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I just died. I'm but sorry. You, Let me get back to you. I'm yeah. having the vapors. But seriously, Miami is expensive as hell, too. Yeah, okay, so that, that Natalie, that was a good question because that's one of the main barriers to entry that we have for putting our you know, minimum, any minimum at all on the website, because we do get a lot of clients and it says, oh, my total scope of work is this, and this is my budget. And then we do a consultation with them. We say, listen, realistically, your budget is XXX. And they're like, okay, still, that's, that makes sense. You've educated me. Let's move forward to where we're afraid that putting the X, the dollars on the website would just keep that person that ended up being a great client from calling to start with. So does your intake form itself also say, Hey, is your budget $10,000? Because if it ain't, guess what? I think I might have a like a small line hidden in my services <laughs> page where it's like, you know, if your project is smaller, we like once in a while, we take on smaller projects. So contact us. I don't know if I've been missing out, but I don't think I have just because, you know, like a 50K minimum, it's just... 
I mean, sometimes they do call me and they already know, like, on that initial phone call, they're like, we're not sure what the budget should be. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And so I definitely have that conversation. And they're vetted. Someone said, this is something that Sarah Lynn Brennan and I went back and forth on on doing the packages. She has packages on her website. She has the pricing on her website. It was like six or $8,000 per room. I can't remember which one it was. And people said, I'll take three rooms. Okay. (laughs) Put it in the back. So they're already, they're already vetted. And you have to pick the right like price level too, right? Like, you know, maybe it's a different minimum that works for your business, right? And like, when you picked your price level, did you research your competitors at all? Or did you just say, you know what, this is me, this is what I stand for, this is who Form and Feel is, take it or leave it? The latter, yeah. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> there Ooh, you that's, go. That's Bam. badass. 2.5 Hasht- years in business and this is what you get. Hashtag badass. <laughs> there you go. God, I'm so tempted. I I'm know. So- and now, did you change any of your website communication to communicate your project management? Like when you first started out two and a half years ago, I'm sure your website isn't what it is today? How did you change that? You know, it was a lot of it was just adding this verbiage and, you know, like we have minimums now and like putting it in the services and like the process docs and then adding this intake form as well. My website hasn't changed too much over the past couple of years. It's mostly been like these micro adjustments based on like, like, for example, the I have an on-site consultation fee. And so like how I sell that on-site consultation and how I talk about that. And so it's been these adjustments as I've grown as a brand and company and knowing like how I want to present ourselves. Those are the kind of changes that I've been making. And do you market your business any different now that you have minimums than you did beforehand? Not really. I don't think so. Well, so I used to be on house. I'm no longer on house because I found that, no, that's not true. My profile is up there. I don't pay them anymore is what I mean. Because I found that a lot of the low budget leads were actually coming through there and that's not what I wanted. And so, you know, a lot of it's just been referrals, SEO, Google SEO, like just organic SEO has been phenomenal for the past year. Christine, I'm going to guess that one of the major differences, again, because in the beginning I said designers, they care about the Benjamins, is the income to your firm. <laughs> I'm guessing that was a dramatic difference. Can without, I guess, divulging too many details, can you tell us like what the percentage of margin or increase to your firm has been since you've done this? I don't know if I can quantify it that way, but basically I can describe it in terms of like overhead costs. You know, like when I first started out and I didn't have minimums, I was working off of my kitchen table. I had maybe I had a part-time employee, you know, or like one and a half employees. And, you know, overhead costs were really low. I didn't really have much to pay for besides our salaries. Now, you know, we have an office, we have lots of insurance to cover us. Um, (laughs) We have lots of expenses and that adds up. And that's why also a minimum is useful because you just ensure that projects are able to cover the cost of operating a professional firm. So that's an excellent point. And you know, my lead designer, Johanna Murat, we're still working remotely. We still work from our home offices because I've just been really reluctant again to have that overhead and that expense. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? And what was the difference between working from home and getting the office? Did you do the mini- minimums and then get the office or did you get the office and then do the minimums? Uh, actually, the office first. 
And then that's when it was just like, you know, I've got to make this much income every month. So. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it was like do or die. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Okay. So here's an aside off the topic, but I need to know this and Natalie again, Graf needs to hear it for better, for worse. Is it worth getting an office? Has that been helpful to you in its own category for your design oh, yeah. business? Oh, okay. yeah. It's been amazing. Like I'm actually in my second space right now and we're looking for a third new space at this moment. And it's just, you know, up to, like having uh, like a place where you can see clients. We actually do a lot of meetings, client meetings in our office. Also the space for all the samples and presentations and, you know, meeting vendors as well. And just having a space away from home where you just go there and you focus on work <laughs> instead of... Was that a leap of faith? Like you were like, you know, I really just kind of need an office because I want to do all those things you just mentioned and then the money will come? Or was that carefully planned out financially? I mean, it was planned out financially. I wanted to make sure, you know, before I make any investment that I'm able to carry it out. But at the same time, you know, every time you upgrade your office, like right now I'm, I'm thinking about a big upgrade and I'm just like, it's... I get anxious about it, like <laughs> thinking about, you know, if I double my rent that I'm paying right now, like that's, it's a big expense. So, ouch, ouch, ouch. So, yeah. when you are in the business for two and a half years and you are in your market, in your area, like for us, I mean, we all know the Miami market, we all know the rental market. How much should we budget? How much should we set aside for that a monthly to say, you know what, the guy's going to come knocking at my door and he's going to need, you know, three, four, five, six grand. How much is he going to need for rent? Are, are uh, you asking how much he pays no, for rent? No, I'm just saying, I mean, like, <laughs> how much do you what set aside? What percentage of your income you know, would you say? Yeah, yeah, what percentage do you set aside? Let me see. I just make it up. I'm, no, just just make it up. I'm, I'm, I'm simply saying is, you know, you've got to realize, do you start in an area? Well, let me let me try to change that a little bit. Yeah. So Jesus, we all, Natalie. No, but we all know that we have different, there's different demographics in all different neighborhoods. Do we do, so do we start in a neighborhood that's maybe not our right clientele, but we want to have their business, but, or do we go straight for the luxury and we pay $10,000 a month in? I don't think that's wise. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying, you know, which market do we start in? You see what I'm saying? Like, where do we start? Yeah. Yeah. I would do get the cheapest office you can. Oh, okay. Perfect. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. That would be my approach, right? Because like, there's only so much value an office provides, right? Like you could be starting out and then get that $10,000 a month office and then like be broke and bankrupt, right? But so it's really about like keeping your over, like in general is a good rule. Like I try to keep my overhead expenses as low as possible because that's what helps you survive through like any kind of downturns or recessions. And, you know, you grow as you need to grow. Um, and so, you know, while it might be tempting to like go all out and spend all this money, like, I don't think that's the best idea. <laughs> so basically, so you agree with me that if we start at Cutler Ridge, <laughs> we go to Pinecrest, we go to Palmetto Bay, yeah. then we could go to the Gables and hey, why not Brickle? Well, so I think like office location, just to kind of chat about like where I'm kind of locating it. So my first office, like I've always located it close to my house. <laughs> to be honest. That's smart. So, where I am now, it was close to where I was living, like literally five minute walk. And it happened to be, you know, a very uh, transit friendly location, like downtown Soma, lots of like offices there, just central location. 
And it doesn't necessarily have to be where the, you know, you wouldn't have like the expensive neighborhood here in California is like Atherton, right? You wouldn't have an office there. You would have an office that's like convenient. And so like right now I'm looking to move my office to more of a, the neighborhood I live in now, which is Potrero Hill. And it's definitely more residential, but it has great parking and it's close to my house. So, you know, I think it doesn't really matter so much if it's in a she-she location or not. It's just more like what's convenient for your clients and what's convenient for you. Good point. Ours is our guest house. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> At our actual residence. We've turned our entire guest if house. If I had a guest house, I would totally use it. <laughs> okay. So that does put a new perspective on it. Christine. It's like a new twist, Darla. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Christine, for indulging me in that. I appreciate that. that. Yeah, that little side. Thank you for my tangent. Thank you. That was a little (laughs) bit of a tangent, but it's something I was dying to ask you, too. So thank you so much for your input on Project Minimum. So the best advice I would say is to try it and see how it works. Obviously, it's working really well for Christine. Two and a half years in, she's getting some serious gigs. But now, Christine, I have to ask you if you're ready for the What Up Wingnut round. Now it's time for What Up Wingnut. Wingnut. I'm so ready. (laughs) (laughs) I love people's response to that. (laughs) Christine Lynn, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be and why? I'd be a willow tree. So that was the first thing that came into my mind. Uh, It's native to China and I'm of Chinese ancestry. And while they might appear more delicate, they actually have very large, strong roots and they bend to the wind instead of breaking. What would the hashtag on your tombstone be? No regrets. That's another good one. If you could have only one superhero power, what would it be and why? So I'm actually a big superhero nerd. I don't know if you know that about me. I did not. We're <laughs> bonding. We're bonding hard right now. But uh, Yeah, I used to read all my brother's comic books. Me too. Me too. Me too. <laughs> and so I would definitely choose psychic powers, just like Jean Grey. <gasps> yes! The Phoenix. <laughs> but not go dark Phoenix and destroy everything. That was like the best series. <laughs> and it was the best series, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but basically, you're like the most powerful human being in the world, and you can control lots of things. <laughs> I love it. You and I just geeked out together. We bonded, seriously, on a spiritual level. <laughs> <If> you, <laughs> please recommend a book to the Wingnuts listening that has had a profound effect on you, either personally or professionally. So I have three. I don't know if I can share all three of them, but I'll start with the first one. (laughs) One of my favorites and most pivotal has been Daniel Goleman's Emotional Intelligence. It does read like a textbook sometimes, but uh, it was so amazing to kind of understand what exactly emotional intelligence is. A lot of people kind of throw that term around nowadays, but this really goes deep into what it means and Um, helps you understand what does it mean to have emotional intelligence in everything that you do. That was like great for not only understanding myself, but also everyone around me and why they're doing the things they're doing. My second one is Mindset by Carol Dweck. So this also flipped my thinking about whether or not skills are inherent or learned. I always used to grow up with this thinking like, you know, you're born with what you have, you're born with these smarts. And that completely changed my mind around that. Like the brain is plastic. If you want to learn how to do something and do it well, you're completely able to, if you put your mind to it. So that was a huge shift in thinking for me, as well as like my employees, you know, how I thought about my employees. 
And then lastly, I've been in the middle of reading Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. It just completely changes your perspective. You either come away as like a nihilist or a complete hedonist. (laughs) (laughs) Lord. (laughs) Makes you realize that, you know, life is too short to care about that that doesn't matter. You know, like. Who's the author of that one? Yuval Harari. Common spelling. No Y-U-E-A-L-H-A-R-A-R-I. Awesome. Christine, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Please tell the wingnuts listening where they can find you in Foreman Field Interiors. So you can find me at Foreman Field, F-O-R-M-A-N-D-F-I-E-L-D, across every social media platform. Uh, and we're at foremanfield.com. Christina, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You have an amazing week. Thanks so much for having me. Natalie and Giraffe. Yes, ma'am. So many actionable tips. My head is spinning. First of all, okay. My head hurts. First of all, God, I want to put minimums. I want to, Carla Aston does this also. No. I want Darla. to put minimums, but Darla in Jethro a way, mm, I want to do it. Christine, look at her. Two and a half years. But wait a minute. Don't you think you should find something, stick with it before you keep moving on and jumping like, you know, around? Oh, the burp, pack, burp, the burp, pack. Burp. Yes, I know. But also the office thing. I want an office. Johanna is dying for us to get an office so we can Darla. have, here's an idea. Hey, you're an interior design company. Here's some stuff. And How about you come back to reality and let's wrap this back up? Back to life. Back to reality. Darla. Remember that song? Let me reel you in like a fishing pole. Come here. Listen. That was great. Christine Lynn. Very smart cookie. Two and a half freaking years. Yes, I mean, listen, we're not doing too bad for two and a half years. No, we can't complain. That girl, that's one smart cookie. She knows yes, she knows yes, what she's is. doing on that interior design business. I tell you what. I tell you. Darla. Natalie, I want to tell you. I know what you want to tell me. What do you want to tell our listeners? We have gotten some listeners. kick-ass reviews on iTunes from our listeners, and I would like to share one of them with you now. Natalie, we met these lovely young ladies at High Point Market. I don't know if you remember it. Surya, Luann, and Sarah Lynn Brennan's talk with Wendy Wallace-Shuck. I don't know. Did you meet them? Alana, Alana Fraley? I don't think I met them, actually. Okay. So listen listen to the re- review they left. And please do likewise if you feel so inclined. <laughs> Are you shilling for reviews, <laughs> I'm shilling for reviews, but I want, I want to give them a shout out. Because this, this made my day. I had like a day. And the, I read this review and I was like, huh, this is my why. This is why I do this. So here it goes. Every Monday and Wednesday, I eagerly look forward to another episode of Wingnut Social. Darla and Natalie have a true passion for learning, and each week they openly share actionable tips to enhance your social media presence and grow your interior design business. Everyone in my firm is an avid Wingnut! Exclamation mark. Each week, we recap the episodes and discuss how we plan to implement what we've learned. We've used what we've learned from the podcast to grow our Instagram following, listen to this, by an average of 100 new followers a month and an average engagement rate of 5.8%. Thank you, Darla and Natalie, emoji giraffe. (laughs) I love that. And your guests for consistently sharing the latest and greatest social and business information for the interior design industry. Alana Fraley, principal and owner of Alana Fraley Interior Design. Look, Ma, we made it. Look, Ma, we have arrived. Thank you so much, ladies. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Seriously, I am sending you lots of... 
virtual hearts. I can't tell you how happy that made me. And it was just such a blessing to read that. And that is my why. It really is. That's why I do this. I love giving interior designers information. I love giving women information on how to increase their interior design business. And yeah, ju just today we had someone called Darla Pal Interiors and they were inspired by your story. And now we are going to reach out and have a phone call and possibly try to help her in some way if we can. Gives me the warm fuzzies. It does. Definitely my why. Thank you guys so much again. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review on iTunes or whatever the hell you're listening to this podcast on. Be sure to follow us on social at Wingnut Social. And remember, we are also a marketing firm for you guys, the interior design industry and your non-interior designer friends. Please give us a call at 1-877-WINGNUT and we will set you up in that marketing business there. Natalie, do you have anything else for today? I don't think I do. So long. See ya. You've reached the end of this episode of Wingnut Social, but that's only your first step. Be sure to head to wingnutsocial.com to reach out to us directly and schedule your free consultation with one of our Wingnut Social Media Specialists to take your business from social mediocre to social media master. We'll see you on the next episode of Wingnut Social, your social media tightly fastened. So excited, going to Disney World, gonna see Star Wars Land, yeah. They love us. He works hard for the money, diddy, diddy, so hard, honey, honey. Well, I don't know if that's amazing, but I'm definitely ridiculous. You are. Good boy, Mango.